The title has such a easy answer, it seems, or should seem, for the Christian, particularly in light of the songs that we sung. But we've lived long enough to know that even Christians do not always make wise decisions, nor have God's people in the past always made wise decisions. Mentioned numerous times, I believe, that we in America have gotten somewhat spoiled in the sense that we've always been able to live in a land that believed in God, believed in the Bible, and at least at some degree or another attempted to follow some of its principles. So we've always had religious freedom. And we've always had some protection to protect our freedom to worship, as we feel the Bible directs, to have freedom to have some benefits given to us in property not being taxed, so on and so forth. But for those of us who've been around a little bit, we've seen changes that we're facing today that we would have thought would have been impossible 20, 30 years ago, probably even 20 years ago. We thought we'd never be facing some of the things that we are nowadays. And we worry about what's maybe coming down the pike. God knows, and ours is to trust Him, make that wise decision. But we do not know. You look at the society in which we live in, the political realm in which we have going on now. We see the changes that are being applauded for being kind and generous and open-hearted and willing to receive anybody in any particular field, regardless of how they feel sexually or morally or anywhere else along the line. Not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. But as less things change, and that's always in God's hand, I would pray it would not be the case, but it is a possibility that in our lifetime, it would be possible for us to see somebody being sworn in as President of the United States and not use the Bible. Sobering thought to consider, isn't it? They don't follow it anyway, but I understand that. But the thought that that's a realm of possibility. You listen to some of those who are making a run. What they're saying, what they believe, and what they practice. That if some of those were elected, they would not want to use the Bible to be sworn in. And I don't know what they would use or they would use anything. And if that takes place, there'll be a lot of changes goes on. And it may get down to some of the songs that we have sung. Do I trust and obey? Trust and obey God? Do I make that wise choice? That it does not matter what happens physically in this world to me. It matters what happens to me spiritually in this world in which I live to decide and desire to do the things that would be pleasing to God. 
But what we face is really nothing new. We go back to the book of Joshua as he begins to close out his life. In that 24th chapter, reminds us in verse 13, God had given them a land for which they did not labor, cities for which you did not build and dwell in them, and you eat the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we would forsake, should forsake the Lord God, the Lord to serve other gods. And it goes on. In 19 he says, You've made a, you cannot keep what you said you're going to do. Because you're promising that you're going to be faithful to the one true God who is pure and holy. And the life that you lived has indicated you're not going to do that. And they said, oh, yes, we will. We will do that. And you made a covenant. If you don't keep your word, you will be held accountable. So the challenges to, of Joshua's day are just as true today as they were then. We live in a land that we did not build. We have a heritage that others labored for. We're the beneficiaries of all of that. We have forgotten some of the things that previous generations have gone through. There's a book out called Arkansas Angels. And it describes the life of gospel preachers in the 1800s and into the 1900s. Of how they were received by those who they preached the gospel to. How there are those who have had found and had dynamite placed in the pulpit that did not go off. They have those uh, facing a shotgun by a father if they baptized their daughter in the river. We don't face things like that. And we've forgotten what we've gone through, what some have gone through for us to be able to stand and to enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. Israel of old had forgotten a lot of that. Forgotten what the Israel had gone through coming out of the land. Forgotten through the trials and tribulations that they had to face. To realize, listen, it was the Lord who watched over them. And it was the Lord who protected them. 
And there's a choice to be made. You make a choice whom you're going to serve. Where he leads me, I will follow. Listen to the words and a promise that we make. Where he leads, I will follow. Are we committed to doing just that? Being faithful to him. Again, we are facing that or beginning to face that in our society. To stand up in a pulpit, to stand in a life as a Christian, and to declare that the things that are going on in our society today are not acceptable in the eyes of God. And unless there's a change, there's going to be a day of reckoning. And those who really do not know the Bible, or who we do not want to follow it, are quick to have their verse that they know. Judge not that you be not judged. Who are you to judge me? I'm not judging them. Simply reading what the Bible has to say. The Bible, God is the one who does the judging. We live in a society, and we see it all the time, of those who are being set free, not because they're declared innocent, but declared not guilty by reason of a false charge or false or an improper statement that a judge made to a jury. A statement that he made of his belief enough for the conviction to be overturned and the individual to be set free constantly takes place. That's not true with God. The convictions will not be overturned for those that are guilty. The only way to receive a reward from God or declare not guilty is by obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get caught up and we need to be reminded periodically that every decision we make, as minor as they may appear, can have consequences and do have consequences. First time we do something wrong, it's a feeling of guilt and shame. But if we continue down that course, we reach a point where that guilt is gone and that shame is gone. You see it in the world and you watch it and see it in individuals. Things that they were ashamed to do, there's no shame in it any longer. And it's openly declared that this is acceptable and you must indeed tolerate it. And if you do not, then you're the guilty ones and you're not being the kind person that God would have you to be. But that does not harmonize with the scriptures. How you make choices will determine your course in life. What do you base your decisions upon? The flesh says you base it upon what you can see, be it, be it work, be it location, be it job, be it spouse, be it whatever it may be. We're geared to look into the physical eye and making choices based on that. As opposed to making a choice that says, I'm going to be faithful to God. And if I being faithful to God causes me to lose a job, then that be the case. Where's the commitment? 
And to what do we make it? Many of us lived in a time frame, again, when there was no, basically, outside emergency crews and such like that. There was no work done on Sunday. We lived, some of us lived in a time frame when there was no activities planned on Wednesday night because that was Bible study night. And those days are long gone. A lot of things are scheduled for times, the same times as church services or midnight or midweek Bible studies with an expectation that a Christian would make the decision to say it's okay to miss services to do this or to do that. That that would be the accepted, the accepted norm. That that's my choice. And it's not the fact that I've made a commitment. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might, and with all my strength. And he and he alone has priority in my life. Is that outdated? Is that no longer harmonized with Scripture? The world says it doesn't harmonize, and you need to change what the Scriptures say. That it's okay to make these adjustments because of the society in which we live. Joshua is telling the people of his day, you need to make a choice. You need to understand why you are where you are right now. Because those who have preceded you. And you need to understand the choice that you make. Of where it's going to lead you in the future. Then you start with Judges. First and second Samuel. First and second Kings. First and second Chronicles. And on and on you go through the Old Testament and into the New Testament and find that God's people, time and time again, did not understand that charge that Joshua gave to the people. You choose. If it seems evil in your sight to serve God, then you serve the gods of your father. You serve the idols. But if you serve the idols... You suffer the consequences that goes along with that. We're also reminded that we need to be careful about making rash decisions. Impulsive decisions. But we do make the decisions. Even your indecision is the decision. Well, I can't really decide. You have decided. I'm not sure which way I ought to choose. You've already made some choices there. Again, the, the, the course is clear-cut. God, Satan. Jesus reminds us you cannot serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, or you cleave to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, God and riches, or God and anything else that's outside of God. You make that choice. You do that every day. Enjoyed the workshop this afternoon. Enjoyed the charges that were being brought out as we we're going to be training and teaching our, our young uh, kids. The emphasis on Scripture. The emphasis on setting the right example that you may not fully know all the ramifications 
of what's involved as this concept of serving God. But if you've got that in your mind, that's what it is. You make the mindset to start with. And then I will understand how it unfolds. And then when I come up against a situation that says, listen, here's, the, here's your choices. Which one are you going to choose? For the Christian, it ought to automatically be there. I choose God. I trust Him. It may not fit in society. It may cause tremendous hardship in society. But the choice is clear. I'd rather suffer the hardships in society than eternity without God. Those are the choices. And we need to be willing to make those along our way. We look over in the book of Matthew in chapter 12. And down at verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. If you're not with God, you are against God. And that's the consequence. That's the choice. Well, you have to understand where we are in society. You have to understand what we're doing. We have to understand, no, it's, are you with God or are you against God? God said you love him with all your heart. You serve him with all your heart. You serve him with all your soul. And you serve him with all your mind. Everything you have belongs to God. He loved you. Christ died for you. You're saved through his blood. He's promised you a home in heaven. He gave his all for you. You give your all for him. The choice is clear. But sometimes again... It's hard to make. We need to understand the importance of making proper choices along the way. You consider Lot's choice in Genesis 13. Conflict between the herdsmen of Lot and Abram. Choose. And again, I look at it and say... From the worldly point of view, or from the business point of view, you are a herdsman, and you have flock, and you know that flock need water and pasture, and you're given a choice. Choose the river and the good land, or choose the mountain. From a business point of view, what choice do you make? From a godly point of view, what choice are you going to make? What was wrong with the river? And what was wrong with the land flowing with that was plush and lush? It looked towards the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which were already described as being wicked and ungodly. And then you follow the path that Lot followed. And see what he went through. Pitched his tents towards Sodom. Then you find him living in Sodom 
And then you find at least the daughters and son-in-laws so caught up in the society of Sodom that Lot's charge to them was foolishness. And even his sons, and that they would not leave Sodom. Business choice? But what's the end result? See, we look with the physical eyes, sometimes we make choices. Do we look with the spiritual eyes? Where is this going to lead me? What is involved in that? That even his two daughters that did leave, he lost his wife in the process as well. The damage to the home was tremendous by a choice that seemed to be wise at the time. That has not changed. That continues down through time as well. The right choices may seem strange, difficult, hard, unrealistic, as it was in the case of Moses. As you look at Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 26. When he was of age, he chose not to be called Pharaoh's daughter, or the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but chose to identify with his people. That's the other side of that decision of a business choice. He identified with his people. Worldly point of view. If you wanted to help your people who were enslaved in Egypt, and you had the opportunity to have all the wealth of Egypt at your disposal, and that you would be able to rule the land and make the laws that you wanted to make, and you wanted to help your people who were slaves, what would seem the logical choice to do? Worldly point of view. Remain the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Possibility of becoming Pharaoh. What could you do with the wealth of Egypt? The Hebrew writer is talking about Moses did not consider the wealth of Egypt to be compared to serving God. And then he would be forced to leave Egypt. The godly perspective says it did not work in his time frame, did it? It took him 40 years to realize that he was a Israelite to identify with his people. Forty years being driven out of Egypt to dwell in the desert. It's a good place to help your people, isn't it? Go out there in the, in the desert for 40 years and tend sheep. And then to come back and to be able to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage. We make choices. Again, we need to look with godly eyes at those choices that we make. Moses turns out to be the great lawgiver. Law given by God. Moses brings it to the people. He's one with Elijah that would appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's one who's, excuse me, who's described in Revelation 
as they're singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. Physically, looks like disaster. Spiritually, the choice to serve God is always the right choice. You see, it was Jesus. He made the right choice to do the will of the Father. Does not look like the best choice to make. God, or the Son of God, you need to go to earth and you need to be a man. And you need to live as a man on this earth. Then you need to be willing to give your life as a sacrifice in a cruel, cruel death so that these men could have an opportunity of finding forgiveness of their sins. Paul in Philippians 2, 5 through 11 discusses that. That Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he was willing to empty himself and to take on the form of a servant and to be obedient to, to the point of death on that cross. Wow. It's a choice. Choose. You make the choice to obey God regardless of the consequence or regardless of the reception of the choice that you made. Most of the world then and most of the world today has not, chooses not, and will not obey God. Jesus reminds us that in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Wide is that gate that leads to destruction, and many go in thereat. Many are going to go that way and not choose to go the narrow way. But Jesus died anyway. His desire was to do the will of the Father. And that's what it's about. Is it true in our life? Is that what we desire to do? Over in the Gospel of John, and in chapter 10, Verses 17 and 18. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. And the 19 says there was a division among the Jews because of what he said. It's always going to be the case. They're not, they're going to be division even for those who walked with him. Those that performed miracles with him. There would be division as to who he was. Judas would betray. Peter would deny. The others would flee. Eleven would return, but that twelfth one would not. 
always will be division. So ours is to make the choice of what we will do. Choose wisely. Choose your friends wisely. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do, do not be deceived, evil companions corrupt good morals. Be careful who you choose. You've heard me say it many times, dealing with those in prison. The number one reason I hear and heard for why they were there was because they ran with the wrong crowd. I myself would have done that. Well, basically you hear, but I was with the wrong group of people. They did something wrong, and I, and I was with them, and I got arrested as well. I was with the wrong crowd. Do not be deceived. The world will corrupt good morals. Choose carefully who your friends will be. Make wise choices. It's a lifelong decision that we make each time we live, each day that we breathe, each breath that we take. But when we've already been willing to do what we sum, when I've already decided that I'm going to trust and I'm going to obey God, and wherever he leads me, wherever, listen to it, wherever he leads me, I'm going to follow. Maybe a rugged path in the eyes of the world, but it's the path that leads to eternal life. I have decided to follow Jesus. That's the choice. What have you decided to do? The invitation song, Footprints of Jesus. Scriptures remind us that he's left us an example that we ought to follow in his steps. The footprints of Jesus. Are we doing that? Do we desire to do that? Has that become second nature? I have decided to follow Jesus. That's just the nature of who a child of God is. Are we fighting against it? As you look at the line, is it where God wants you to be? Is there a need for us to recommit ourselves to following Jesus and his footprints and doing his will? That invitation song is open to you. If you need to respond, if we can assist you, if we can help you, indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.